Brian, your lunatic friend. At the turn of the decade in 1990, I was writing songs for my fifth project and my first album for Murr Records. And right when I was hitting the big time and things were going good, things were going bad elsewhere. In my attempt to be successful, I was spending less and less time at home. I remember the first time I thought to myself, what am I doing here? Sitting in a hotel room in Moncton, New Brunswick. It's on the very east coast of Canada. My first son was only six days old at the time. Fresh out of the hospital in Southern California. And that was back in 1983. And four years after that, I had another son. And I mention it because it's the beginning of a transfer of responsibilities that I didn't see coming. I'd quit the Sweet Comfort Band because I had a kid. But now I was right back on the road doing the same thing I was always doing. And if you're never home, you're never aware of how unhappy your wife might be. So by 1990, I had a problem and nobody that I could tell that to. My ship wasn't sinking yet, but the leaks were getting bigger. And that's where the concept for the Lunatic album came from. One of my first thoughts was where does a pastor go when he has a problem? Leaders always have to appear that they know what they're doing. And I remember the first time I tried to admit to my local pastor that I might need some counseling. His first thought was to protect the sheep like I wasn't one of them. But rather than setting an appointment for my counseling, he canceled my concerts at the church. I might as well have told him that I was a leper. And this is when I realized that at church you couldn't admit to a problem. And it was kind of a joke when I came up with a concept for the Lunatic album. It was about having to say I have this friend and he has as a problem. I would sing, I've got this lunatic friend in a sarcastic tone. And here's where you can see that I often use humor to deflect the anger that I might be feeling. Yeah, I just wanted to call the album My Lunatic Friend. But Tom Willett pointed out, since we're doing a gospel album, people might think you're talking about Jesus. So we settled on the anonymous confessions of a lunatic friend. It was Tom's idea and it was a good one. At one meeting at the record company, I remember a guy admitting that when we talk, we often remove ourselves from the conversation by saying, when you get to a point where you're in trouble, and we say that rather than saying, when I get to a point and I'm in trouble, we can lessen the impact of the indictment on ourselves. Maybe that's why there tends to be more preachers than listeners. But I was determined to break through that barrier and share something real about a personal walk with Jesus. And that's probably where the first lyrics came from. Never been all that close to you, starting to wonder why. Never a deeper conversation, we always politely lie. And I would add, it's been a lonely time that I could never understand. I was starting to ask my own questions about the Christian community. We were always praising unconditional love and forgiveness, but apparently that was for somebody on the outside looking in. This song was called All is Forgiven, but from there you can see how the lunatic song got written. I know this respectable individual with a great personality who struggles on the inside. Really nice guy, but I'm afraid he lacks conviction. He's got these mental reservations concerning his own life, and why? He doesn't know why. But for me, I was determined to find out why I didn't feel like I belonged, even in church. And I had to go outside of the church to get an objective insight about it. So yeah, I was pursuing counseling even as I was writing these songs. And the first guy I went to started asking me about my folks. And I asked him why would that matter? They were good people. My folks were in the ministry. And they cared about people. I watched them drop everything for a total stranger. And of all the things to come back with, he says, and how did you feel about that? And until that moment, I had never even thought about how I felt about the way that I was raised. And I was dumbfounded at my own answer when I said, well, I guess I didn't feel like I was as important as a total stranger. And just like that, my answer made me feel worse because I had no interest in indicting my folks for anything. I didn't have a hard life. I wasn't abused or anything. They did move around the country a lot, though. Found myself in new schools almost every year. And the truth was, I'd gotten used to being around total strangers. In fact, I'd gotten so used to it, I could strike up a conversation 
even with a telephone pole. And better yet, it took nothing for me to start the song Mr. Bailey's Daughter for this project. The opening line fell out of my mouth without any effort whatsoever. Now this is the story of a lower middle class American preacher's kid who found that we don't always do all the right things for the right reasons. Now there's an interesting thought nobody talks about. I wrote Mr. Bailey's Daughter with my preacher's kid friend Chuck Barth, who had written several songs with me before. He had done the music for Don't You Want to Rap, and now he was talking about doing storybook songs. There was an actual family in his church growing up, and he was calling it Mr. Bookie's Daughter. But I didn't like the name Bookie because it sounded like we were talking about horse racing. We needed something with two syllables and easier to sing, so I went to the phone book, literally. And that's how we came upon Mr. Bailey's Daughter. And Bailey was the name of the family, and it's a wonderful life. Because my life wasn't that bad. I would write another song for this record called Sunday Go to Meetin', because that was the biggest part of my life. And at 16, I looked forward to picking up the old ladies for church because I got to get behind the wheel. It would open with grab the keys and run, son, to the station wagon. One thing about my dad's church is Pentecostal wasn't boring. I remember a couple of first-time visitors sat on the back row with their hands on the back of the pew, white-knuckling it. It was the first time I began to understand that not everybody was like us. I remember following them out after church and making sure that they understood what was going on, even if they didn't like it. And even to this day, I always think about the people on the back row who might not be buying all the chili. My songs have always been written with an understanding that you might not get where I'm coming from. And that might be the reason to this day that I have not been able to thrive in corporate worship settings, where they assume you're already on the team. But the truth is, even in secular circles, the most popular artists pretty much tell you what you want to hear. But in the early Jesus music, songwriters were trying to tell you what you might not know. That might have been part of the reason why Jesus music faded away, because like me on this record, after the initial enthusiasm of knowing Jesus wears off, there was a growing disillusionment with the fact that our problems didn't go away with it. Because walking with Jesus and dying to yourself is an ongoing process, and nobody wants to hear that. But it's an interesting thing. I remember the first time I looked up the word disillusionment, and it says to be given the truth. And it's hard to get all self-righteous when you start seeing your own sins. In the Bible, it says confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. And in the future, I would learn that I regularly had to admit there were choices I would still make that would make my life unmanageable. I'm not even going to manage to get all the stories to the songs on the Lunatic album in one episode. So I'll end this episode with a song that Dan Postema told me to write because I would show up at the studio kind of depressed, realizing that no matter how high I got on the ladder of success, there would come a time when I would start to reach the pinnacle of my decline. And Dan says, man, you're thinking too hard. And then he asked me to write a song where I didn't have to have some deep spiritual truth and insight. And I would go home and write, well, the world's full of crazy people haven't got a clue to who they are. Whoa. In a corner standing face down, hands in your pockets all the time. Whoa, 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 whoa. Be like a roller coaster ride. And my favorite lyrics in this song were right in the middle, where I say, say your prayers and get out the way. Because there ain't no stopping now. But we're going to take a break right here because there's more ramifications in these songs than any other record that I ever did. Because for the first time in my Christian career, I was preaching to myself. At the time, it was the anonymous confessions of a lunatic friend. But to this day, I'm still your lunatic friend here on NutshellSermons.com because I'm all too aware that I need the grace of God every day. And thanks for listening and supporting what you believe in.